Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. All right, so when I was a kid, um, there was this thing that would happen on the playground every now and then. Some of y'all may remember this depending on when you grew up, but uh, when there was a dispute on the playground... Every now and then, it would escalate to the point of someone saying, my dad could beat up your dad. Have you all heard that before? Which I think is hilarious. Uh, I I don't know why this happened. I probably said it at one point. My dad could beat up your dad. Now, my dad was a UT football player that played on the national championship team. I'm just saying, uh, hook him horn. So... My dad probably could beat up their, their dad, all right? But <laughs> I don't know if I said that, but my dad never beat up anyone else's dad, thankfully, to the glory of God. And if you're a dad in the room, you should never, ever beat up someone else's dad, right? Okay? Number one, it's sin. Number two, you'll go to jail. So just don't do it, right? Don't beat up anyone's dad. But I was thinking about the silliness of saying, my dad could beat up your dad. And I, I think that in the midst of a dispute, there was something kind of safe about having a strong father, right? Having a strong dad. When you're facing a playground bully, there's something safe about that, about knowing that you had a strong father. And today we're continuing our series called Love Jesus. And this is our our Lenten series. And what we're doing is we're just walking through the life of Jesus, looking at different uh, moments along the way. And the moment that we're going to look at today is going to bring us up against the spiritual bully on the playground, right? It's going to bump us up against a reality that's described in Scripture, You see, in the Bible, it tells us about the reality of the spiritual realm. It tells us about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, good, loving, merciful, almighty, powerful, all-knowing. It just describes this for us. And then it tells us about angels and living creatures in this whole realm. But then it also tells us about an evil one described as Satan, which literally means adversary or enemy. It talks about fallen angels, unclean spirits. And we're going to look at a passage that's going to bump us up against the spiritual bullies on the playground. Um, In the attempt to feel safe, sometimes modern people explain away God, and they explain away angels, and they explain away Satan, and they explain away evil. Because for some reason, it feels safer to us if that was just kind of like superstitious religious stuff and not reality. It feels safe. But you're actually in more danger than ever if you begin to explain away all the things that the Bible tells us 
about ultimate reality. So I believe the scriptures today are going to show us a better way. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. If you have a copy of the scriptures and want to turn there with me, um, we're going to be reading from verses 26 through 39, Luke chapter 8. I also have it on the screens, but if you have an app on your phone that you like to read the Bible on, or if you have an actual Bible with you, I encourage you to pull that out and and to look at this with me. But this is Luke chapter 8, and Jesus is, he's traveling with his disciples here in verse 26. It says, then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, this is talking about Jesus, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time, he'd worn no clothes and did not stay in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. Verse 30, what's your name, Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the man who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Verse 36, meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the garrison region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, what a story, right? Mark chapter 5 tells the same story, and it has some details that aren't included in Luke's. The, one of the details is that there were actually 2,000 pigs on the hillside. It's a massive herd of pigs. And we see in this story a man who's in a very desperate condition. I mean, this is really, really bad. His life is literally in ruins when he encounters Jesus. This a terrible condition that this man is in, and it uses the term these unclean spirits. Now, that word unclean would just be like evil or foul. And what it's describing is what it says is that there were demons. Now, that word demon possession, now some of your translations will say a man who had demons. And I think that demon possession is kind of an unfortunate way to actually translate that portion because it might connotate in our minds the idea that we have no choice at all. But I I want you to understand, this was a man who had 
a lot of issues. Many demons had gone into this man. Jesus asked what his name was, and he says legion. Legion at that time was 6,000 Roman troops. Right, so I don't think it's literally 6,000, but this guy had a lot of issues. And uh, I, I remember when I first became a believer, uh, a couple at our church offered this course called Walk Through the Bible. And I was like, a Bible study? I'm a Christian. I should do that. That sounds great. So I go to this Walk Through the Bible Bible study, and they start walking through the Bible. And we get to like Daniel and this like end time prophecies and like angel warfare and like demons and, and all this stuff. And in my flesh, as a brand new Christian, I'm kind of like, where's the door to this house? I'm going to get out of here now because like this is freaking me out. <laughs> and that's a natural response. Is as we grow in our faith, we begin to see how the Bible describes these realities. There's something in us that just kind of wants to be like, oh gosh, whoa. Because it feels safer to pretend like none of this stuff exists. But Jesus is showing us something very, very important for us, especially in a time where we might feel like there's a lot of darkness. Today's message is called Stronger Than the Darkness. And I want you to see what the Lord is showing us in this passage. First of all, who in the world are these demons? Jude 6 tells us, it says that, and the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. That there was a revolt, a rebellion in heaven that Satan and his angels, they, they wanted to exalt themselves. Satan wanted to be like God and he was filled with pride and these angels did not keep their proper dwelling and they, they actually turned against the Lord and he cast them out of heaven. And so now we are in a world that's embattled and that's why we feel the darkness at times. And I just want you to, to understand that the scripture clearly portrays darkness, but it does not tell us that every single human issue is a demonic issue, okay? I just want you to know that. I don't think we're supposed to go around like, like with a, a, like a, a spiritual metal detector just looking for evil spirits everywhere. Like that's, that's not what the Bible is explaining here. But it's showing us this, that this is real and we need to be aware and we need to know how to deal with it. So, first thing I want us to do is just define the darkness. Defining the darkness. And I want you to see what it does to a person. Because this is the most detailed account that we have in the scriptures of someone who has this kind of evil, unclean, foul spirits that are, that are harassing or afflicting or oppressing the man. So I think it's important for us to, to see this. The, the first thing that I want you to understand is that this darkness, what it creates is erratic, compulsive behaviors. Erratic, com compulsive behaviors. This man is out of control. Literally out of control. He cannot control himself, and no one else is able to control him, right? They, they try to chain him, and he breaks through the chains. He's literally out of control. 
living naked, streaking through the hills in the graveyard of that time. So erratic, compulsive behavior is something that darkness does to people. The, the second thing is anguish. This is a man who's in anguish. In Mark chapter 5, it tells us that night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is what darkness does to people, is it creates an anguish, a, a, a crying, a, a deep um, sadness in them, constant anguish, night and day. The third thing is self-harm. That's what darkness does to a person, is it leads them towards self-harm. In Mark 5, it said that he would cut himself with stones, right? He's just harming himself. He doesn't know what to do. Things are out of control, and, and he's just trying to cope with what's happening, and so he's cutting himself with stones. And, and I was doing some research this week on self-harm. What I found is in, in a worldwide survey that 17% of all people at some point in their lives will self-harm. 17%. And those are just the ones that report it. That 45% of people will use cutting as their method of self-injury. That to this day, this is something that's, that's plaguing people around us constantly. Maybe some of you in this room, this is part of your story. And you know what I'm talking about. How darkness wants to lead us to self harm. As we were preparing today, one of our team members just got word that uh, a leader that they had uh, worked with at a, a different organization had committed suicide last night. And this is what darkness does to people, is it leads to self-harm. The next is destruction. Like, like suicidal thoughts. These are, these are the work of darkness on people's lives. And we talked about the 2,000 pigs, and you can see how they rushed off into the hill. We can see how that darkness always wants to destroy. Jesus told us that in John 10.10. 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. He tells us, they've come to steal and to kill and destroy. They've come to diminish God's people, to diminish his creatures, his creation. And here we see a man who's living a subhuman life. He's less than human in how he's actually living his day-to-day -day experience. It's, it's sad. But this is what darkness does. Lastly, isolation. And this is huge. We, we can always see the marker of darkness working on a person when they begin to isolate. Because when you're isolated, then all of a sudden, the, the evil one can just begin to toy with your thoughts and begin to feed you things that are not true and just kind of get you spiraling down because he wants to get you off by yourself. He wants to isolate. In the passage, it said that he was driven by demons into deserted places. It's a picture of relational brokenness. 
believing that no one cares for him, like literally living among the dead. And this is what darkness does to people. Maybe you're thinking, why would darkness, an evil, unclean, foul spirit, want to latch onto somebody like this? Like, why me? Why, why would I be attacked? It's a good question. We find the answer in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, where God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. He, he says, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Which means that you, man or woman, you are a living picture of the image of God. And the evil one who is filled with hatred against God, the creator, sees you and it reminds him of, of him and he wants to diminish and destroy anything and everything that bears the image of God. Just imagine if somebody hated your earthly father and it just turns out that you look just like him. <laughs> and they see you and they're like, ah. Oh. I mean, that's the picture that we have here. They seek to steal, kill, and destroy God's image bears. Satan, the originator of sin, is constantly tempting and enticing us to, towards sin because he wants to thwart the work of God in your life. If you're a Christian in the room, he, he wants to keep you from being useful in your witness, in your testimony. He wants to stop the plan of God, the work of God, the destiny of God that's on your life. That's why. That's why you. That's why you and I are also caught up in the midst of this kind of battle. So the first thing, the big thing that I think we need to understand what, what the point of the story, what the gospel writers wanted us to see is this. Jesus has ultimate authority over all darkness. Did you catch that? Jesus has ultimate authority over all darkness. If you're a believer, you can literally say, my dad could beat up your dad. <laughs> it's actually true for you. <laughs> But you shouldn't go around saying that, okay? I, I caution you against that. But it's true. He has ultimate authority. Now, I, I just want you to see some stuff in the passage here. In verse 28 and 29, we see this interesting uh, sort of response when Jesus shows up. He says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now, I want you to understand that in this time period, there was a superstition that if I knew your full name, it's like I had mastery over you in some way. 
So when he says, Jesus, son of the most high God, it's an intimidation tactic that, he, that this, this man who's filled with evil is trying to use. And that's one of the tactics of Satan always, to make us intimidated and fearful. So he uses this tactic, Jesus, son of the most high God. And I love how Jesus, he kind of like dismisses the whole superstition of the day. And he's like, what's your name? As if I'm going to cast you out and I don't even, I'm not even going to just acknowledge your name right now. What's your name? Right? It's like when mom uses your full name. You know what I'm talking about? Wesley, Michael, Frederico, Michelangelo, you know, she does the whole list of your names. You're like, ah, it's a sign. It's a sign of trying to get mastery over a person. But Jesus demonstrates his authority. Verse 32. Did you see what happened? The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs. And he gave them permission. Now I know, sometimes the darkness feels so strong, so overwhelming, like, like scary, fear-bringing. And I want you to understand that this legion of evil spirits has to beg Jesus for permission. Jesus has all authority all authority in heaven and on earth. Everything must submit to him. He is the ultimate authority. Now, this had never been seen before. When, when people went crazy like this and they lived in the tombs, it's like, they're like, well, I guess, I guess that's just how it is. No one had ever seen something like this, but Jesus tells us in Luke 11, 20, he says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, I love that, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. All authority. The second thing, Jesus is the bondage breaker. You need to understand that. Jesus is the bondage breaker. No one could restrain the man. I mean, superhuman streak, snapping chains. No one could fix the guy, right? I mean, imagine the hopelessness. Imagine, just imagine the quiet of a pre-industrialized village in the countryside, and at night, little Susie keeps crawling into your bed because she hears the screaming man again. I mean, just picture that hopeless every night. Oh, it's just, it's just a crazy guy. You'll be okay. Nobody could fix the man. But one encounter with Jesus, and he's delivered, set free, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. One encounter. Jesus is the bondage breaker. 
And I know there's stuff that you're like, man, I don't know who can fix that. I don't know if anyone could ever help that person. It is so bad. It's so dark. Or maybe it's you. You're like, I don't know if I could ever get out of this. It, it, this thing runs so deep in me, and I, I try not to do it, but I, I just can't stop. And it's just it's like, this, this, I just don't think I'll ever get better. I don't think I could be fixed. And I just need to hear today that Jesus is the bondage breaker. When you feel erratic, compulsive behaviors, guess what? Jesus is the bondage breaker. When you feel anguish, Jesus is the bondage breaker. When you feel self-harm, Jesus is the bondage breaker. When you feel self-destructive, suicidal thoughts, Jesus is the bondage breaker. When you're driven into isolation, Jesus is the bondage breaker. No matter what you're going through, there's hope for you. Because all authority has been given to Jesus, and he is the freedom bringer. The bondage breaker. So, what does it mean for our lives? What do we do with this story like this? First, when you're facing darkness, remind your fears who has the authority. Remind your fears of who has the authority. When you're facing something that just fills you with fear and anxiety and you're just so intimidated by it, I just want you to remind your fears of Jesus, of who he is, that they had to beg him for permission. Secondly, when you're facing the darkness, apply Jesus' bondage-breaking power. Apply Jesus' bondage-breaking power. Okay, if you're in this room or watching online and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, but you're experiencing the stuff that I'm talking about, erratic behaviors, anguish, self-harm, destruction, isolation. Here's what I want to say to you. Turn to Jesus now. He's come to give you life and life more abundantly. And if you will surrender yourself to him, place your trust in him, he will deliver you, period. That's what he does. You can apply Jesus' bondage-breaking power to your life. Secondly, if you're a believer, there may be times when you feel just excessively tempted in a certain way, whatever that way is for you, and you need to apply Jesus' bondage-breaking power. You can say, in the name of Jesus, I come against these feelings. If there's any unclean spirit coming to attack me right now, I just take authority in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. There may be times where you have emotions that swell in you and they're out of control and you're like, I don't know what to do with these. And here's what we do. In the name of Jesus, I just want to take these emotions, these feelings, and Lord, I just come against any, any sort of spiritual attack that might be coming against me right now. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. You're applying the bondage-breaking power of Jesus. 
if you're ministering to someone else, okay, and they're sharing with you and you're like, I just feel like maybe there's some spiritual attack going on here. You can simply ask them, hey, would it be okay if I just pray just a word of, rebu- of rebuke over any unclean spirit that might be attacking you right now? And they'll tell you yes or no, and you can pray for them right there to apply the bondage-breaking power of Jesus. Lastly, the saddest part of the story is not the man's condition. As I was reading it this week, it was what happened in verse 35 through 37. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind, they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man had, or was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. So no more little Susie crawling into your bed at night because crazy guy screaming on the hillside. He's delivered. He's free. It was a bad day to be a pig farmer. Okay, true, right? But, I mean, this, this was amazing, right? Nobody could fix that guy. And now all of a sudden, he's well. And their response is, that freaks me out. Jesus, please leave. We prefer the illusion when it felt safe, when we thought he was just a crazy guy. And there was no God up there, demons down here, or angels, or any of that stuff. It felt safer to us, Lord. So would you just leave us? That's the saddest part of the story. They preferred the illusion. The illusion felt safe. Jesus burst their bubble. And then they went back to the illusion again. I would rather live with real freedom than a fake figment of my imagination. Amen? I'd rather live with real freedom than pretending like none of that stuff really exists. And that's the offer of the gospel for you. Real freedom. Because Jesus has all authority and he's the bondage breaker. Amen? Amen. So, the better way, the gospel way, is to trust not in an illusion, but in the resurrected and reigning Jesus, the one who disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly, the one who triumphed over them. And there's hope when we face darkness because Jesus has all authority over it. He's the bondage breaker. Remind your fears of the truth and apply the power of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.